This week, we're beginning a brand new summer series, and it's called Untying What's Tying You Up. And it's based on a scripture found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And I especially want to direct your attention to that phrase in the middle that says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews was writing to Christian believers. He's writing to followers of Jesus. And there's a really specific reason that he wrote these words about throwing off things that hinder and throwing off sin. And the reason is this. The reason is that we very easily get entangled by sin. We very easily get entangled by things that hinder us. Sin kind of comes naturally to us. You don't have to work hard to sin. You don't have to look very hard to find us. Find it. It's available. It's all around us. We're born sinners. No one has to teach us how to be bad. It's in our nature. And, that, and that's why Jesus died. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He died to provide forgiveness for sin. And he, and he rose from the dead to break the power of sin. But what didn't happen at salvation is this. Your sinful nature was not eradicated. Oh, that happens eventually. When we get to glory, the sinful nature will be completely eliminated. One songwriter said it this way in, in a hymn, in longing uh, for the experience of heaven, he said, this, he said this, my heart will never, ever break his heart again. And, and he's looking forward to that day when, when, you, when we don't battle anymore with the sinful nature and, uh, and we'll not have temptation any longer and we'll never do anything again to break God's heart. And as a Christian believer, your sinful nature has not yet been eradicated. If it was, you'd never commit a sin again. But the Apostle John says in, in the, his first letter that if you say that you never sin, he says that you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. But if you do commit a sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin if we'll confess it to him. And so what did happen at salvation is this. You were given a new nature. The spirit, your spirit was dead, and it came alive. And, and God gave you a spiritual nature to combat the old nature. And the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart to help us in our weakness. And so now we have this battle that goes on. And before you knew Christ, before you served Christ, there was no battle. You were simply dead in your transgressions. You weren't fighting at all. Sin won. You were dead. There was no fight. But when you came to Christ, he brought you back to spiritual life. He gave you a new nature by which you combat the old nature. And so as believers in Jesus, we still have this sinful nature that wants to rule us, and we have a spiritual nature that wants to rule as well. And so we have this problem that, that sin easily entangles us. And then, and then also it says that there are things that hinder us. Things that get in the way. There's no shortage of things that hinder us in this life. And sometimes these things, they may be sinful, but sometimes they're not sinful. But just stuff that gets in the way. Stuff that gets in the way of spiritual growth. Uh, things that aren't sinful of themselves, but take away from Jesus. That take away from being connected to his body, from fellowship in the body of Christ or fellowship with Jesus. Things that hinder. 
So we have these things that hinder us spiritually. We have these sins that easily beset us. Now look at the words also, last part of this, uh, this verse. Look at the words easily. Easily entangled. So easily. It is so easy to get hindered in our walk with Jesus. So easy to get ensnared by sin. And, and now, you know, I'm not justifying it or saying that it's right. I'm just saying that, that that's how it is. And right now, I want to encourage you. Don't start thinking about your neighbor. Some of you may be thinking, you know, Pastor Paul, you are right. The guy sitting next to me is so entangled, he really needs to hear this. Well, maybe, maybe so, maybe not, you know, but it gets really tempting to say, you know, the, the, the woman sitting next to me, she really needs to hear it. You know, can I encourage you? Don't do that, you know, because the fact is the writer uses the word us. Sin that so easily entangles us. Right? Not sin that so easily entangles him or her. Sin and stuff that hinders easily entangles us. That's you. That's me. If we're honest with God and ourselves, you can be easily entangled with hindrances and sin. And, uh, and so that's what this series is about. We're going to look at some of the things that tend to entangle us and mess us up spiritually and emotionally. And we're going to look at how the Bible says we can untangle ourselves and stay untangled. So this morning, I want to talk to you about untying the knot of worry. Untying the knot of worry. Worry is something that I think most people deal with from time to time. You know, uh, some people may be more prone to worry than others, but I think that everybody deals with worry from time to time. And it can be easy to get ourselves all tangled up in worry because worry can be deceptive. It's that little voice that says, the way to deal with tomorrow's problems is to stress out about them right now. It's that lying idea that says that somehow, if you have anxiety now about something that you have no control over, it will cause it to turn out better. Like this one woman who was always worrying about everything, and one day her exasperated husband looked at her and said, you know, why do you worry about so many things? It doesn't make any difference. And she shot back, Oh, yes, it does. 98% of the things I worry about never happen. <laughs> it's that fear that disables us and, and keeps us paralyzed when a little action is what's called for. Like this guy, let's call him Joe, who was head over his heels in trouble. And, uh, and, uh, however, he wasn't really doing anything to help himself. And a friend came by and said, you know, Joe, you, you've got two hands. Why don't you do something? And he says, well, well I am. I'm wringing both of them. Sometimes it's that fear we have uh, when we've made poor decisions. How many of you have ever heard of the lay-awake plan? All right, now, it's, it's different than the layaway plan, right? The layaway plan is when you want something, and maybe you don't have the money, so you put it on layaway, and then as, as provision comes, you go, and you pay a little bit at a time until you finally paid it off, and then it's yours. No worries, no anxiety, right? Well, now, the layaway plan, that's when you make some poor decisions, like maybe you use your credit card to buy uh, all these luxuries that maybe you didn't need and you really couldn't afford. And after you do that, you lay awake at night wondering, how am I going to pay off these bills? And what about this large interest that we have paying off these bills? The lay awake plan. Sometimes that happens when we make poor decisions. One person said it this way. Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. 
It's one of those things that can so easily hinder us in our Christian walk. It can so easily beset us. So we're going to, to look this morning at what Jesus said about worry. And I want to say right out the outset that when, when Jesus says that we shouldn't worry, he's not saying that we should not adequately prepare for the future. He's not saying, for example, he's not saying that this agricultural society that they live in, that they shouldn't plant their seed and then harvest their crop and prepare for winter. He's not talking about that. There are many places in the scripture that talk about diligence and, and preparing oneself and supporting and providing for oneself. But what he's talking about is the practice of calling the future into today in order to fret and worry and have anxiety over those things that you have no control over. And so I believe that we will find that as we, as we see what Jesus says, as we apply the kingdom principles that Jesus shows us, we will find that we are able to unravel and untie this knot of worry that sometimes binds us up. So if you could turn in your Bibles and your devices with me to Matthew chapter 6, that's Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to begin at verse 25. Now as you turn there, let me give you just a little bit of background before we read the passage so that we can better understand it and uh, see its context. So this passage of worry is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's the most well-known sermon ever given and probably the greatest collection of teachings on the kingdom of God uh, and kingdom living ever assembled anywhere. And it was given to a very diverse an eclectic gathering of people. Now, you know, sometimes by default, we get this idea that all of Jesus' teaching was given to a very homogenous group of Jewish uh, people, but, and often that is the case, but, th but it's not always. And this is one of those cases, one of those times when it wasn't a homogenous group of Jewish people. It was a very eclectic group of people. If you look at the last verses of Matthew chapter 4, it describes the crowd that was gathering that heard this Sermon on the Mount. It says that they were people from Jerusalem and Judea, and, and those would have been your most religious and formerly religious Jewish people. And then it says that there were people from Galilee. Now, these would have been your more moral, rural, workaday Jewish people. But then it also says that there were people from the Decapolis. That was a very Greek and pagan area across the Jordan River. And then it says there were people from as far away as Syria, probably Damascus, a foreign country. And it says that news about Jesus had spread all the way to Syria, and people had brought many sick people from Syria, hoping that Jesus would heal him. And so Jesus is addressing a very diverse crowd. And what this tells me is that this message on the, of the Sermon on the Mount is universal. It applies to everyone. It applies to people of all times and all nationalities and all cultures. And this message on worry that we're about to look at in verses 25 to 34 is also universal. It applies to everyone, even down to our day. We all have the capacity to get tied up in a knot with worry. I mean, the person... Uh, the poor person worries about where the next meal is coming from or how, how the next bill is being paid. But the rich person worries about losing his wealth. The person at the bottom of the corporate ladder is worried about whether they can climb the ladder. The person at the top of the corporate ladder is worried about whether he's going to be kicked off the ladder. You know, I remember a, a while back, someone in their 20s telling me that they were going to do everything they could to get the most they could out of their career because they realized that they would probably work for about, you know, a couple decades uh, and get to midlife and get to about middle management and get kicked off the corporate ladder by the next hotshot who was coming up. Worry. It goes on and on, and there's no shortage of things to worry about. And so we come to these verses in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus teaching on worry. 
He's going to show us how to untie the knot of worry. So let's read the entire passage together and get a sense of it, and then we'll come back and unpack it. Starting in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Would you just pray with me for a moment as we get ready to consider his word? Uh, would you say this after me? Dear Heavenly Father, give me ears to hear what you're saying to me. Give me eyes to see what you're doing in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now let's unpack this together. Verse 25, the first half of the verse says this, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear. So Jesus says, do not worry. And you know, it's really not a suggestion. It's not like he's saying, you know, if you can help it, don't worry. He doesn't say, you know, try not to worry if you can. It's really just kind of a command. It's more of an imperative. Do not worry. And he doesn't say, you know, don't worry about the small things. He doesn't say, don't sweat the small stuff. He says, don't worry about your life. Well, that's kind of a big thing, isn't it? I mean, what's more important than your life? And, and notice here that Jesus begins with the most basic of human needs, food and clothing. I mean, everybody needs these things. There are no exceptions. You know, and they're not something that you can do without. If, if you do without food and water for a while, you'll die. And if you do without clothing for a while, you'll die too. I mean, depending on the weather. Or if you don't, probably some nice people with a white jacket will show up, right, and help you find some clothes. Everybody needs food. Everybody needs water. Everybody needs clothes. And, you know, Jesus could have started with some less important things. He, he could have started with some of the easy things that, that would be, have been easy to deal with. And, you know, if he had said, you know, don't worry if your kid doesn't make the, the school baseball team or basketball team, uh, it really doesn't matter that much. And we'd be like, you know what, Jesus, you're right. That, that, that thing really isn't that important. I'm not going to worry about that. You know, he could have started with, you know, don't worry about what college your kid is getting into. She's only in second grade. And we'd all be like, you know what, Jesus? That's right. That's not really important, really so much to worry about and be anxious about. So you're right, Jesus, right? But uh, instead, if you started with these less important things, it would be easy. But Jesus started with the hard things, with the most important things of life. He started with the most basic needs 
that everyone has. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. And if he had stopped there, we would have all of these questions like, you know, what do you mean don't worry about these things? Jesus, don't you realize that they're important? Don't you realize that we need these things, that they're vital? And, and Jesus answers all of these questions in the second half of the verse. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Isn't there more to life than just meeting your basic needs? Jesus is asking, if all there is to life is getting enough food to eat and enough clothes to wear, then, then what's the point? Shouldn't your life be about more than that? Life is more than the accumulation of things. He who dies with the most toys does not win. Having a shoe closet like Imelda Marcos does not bring meaning. Reaching the place where you're totally self-sufficient and you have nothing lacking and you don't have to ever work another day in your life does not bring meaning to your life. Isn't your life more than about the accumulation of stuff? Isn't it more than about satisfying your cravings? So the first step to untying the knot of worry is understanding that God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. You're not here just to take up space. You're not just here just to, to eat and drink and wear clothes and then die. You are uniquely designed by God with a purpose for your existence. And if you're going to untie the knot of worry, then you need to convince yourself that God has a purpose for your life. Then going on, verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And so here Jesus gives an illustration. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the other animals. They don't worry about anything, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And by this example, he's implying that they are valuable to God. But they don't seem to be connecting the dots, so he does it for them in the form of a question. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than these birds of the air? And what he's saying is that when you worry, you're acting like you are less valuable to God than a robin that's flying outside of your window. When you worry, you're acting like God doesn't value you. Worry is a declaration that you believe that you are not valuable to God. And he's asking, is that what you're saying? Do you think that you are less valuable to God than a swallow or a robin? So this question brings us to the next step in untying the knot of worry. If you're going to untie the knot of worry, you must know, you must believe that you are valuable to God. God looks at you and says, now there is something valuable. It's not just the person in front of you. It's not just the person next to you or behind you. God values you. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old, boy or girl. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your IQ level is. You are valuable to God. And if the very nature of existence shows us that, that God values the birds and the animals, how much more should you come away with the idea that God values you as a person and as an individual? So if you're going to untie the knot of worry, you must know that God has a purpose for your life, and you must know that you are valuable to God. 
All right, going on in verse 27, he says, Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? If you worry, will it affect the outcome? Will it make a difference? Listen, the fact that 99% of the things that you worry about don't happen isn't proof that worry works. It's proof that you didn't need to be worrying in the first place. And so the next step to untying the knot of worry is to realize that worry is ineffective. Worry doesn't work. Anxiety will not change your future. Worry doesn't rob tomorrow of its sorrow. It only robs today of its joy. It pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. And it wastes today's opportunities by cluttering it with tomorrow's troubles. So you can't really enjoy life when you're worried. Joy and worry can't really occupy the same space. And so when, when you're worrying and fretting, it ends up robbing you of your ability to live in the blessings that God has for you today while doing nothing to change what may or may not happen tomorrow. And so Jesus says, if you're going to untie the knot of worry, you need to know that God has a purpose for your life. You need to know that he values you highly. And if you're going to untie the knot of worry, you need to know that worry doesn't work. It's ineffective. Going on in verses 28 to 30. Here Jesus makes the same point again with a different illustration. He drives the same point home. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So just like God fed the birds of the air, so God clothes the flowers of the field. And, and he says that by comparison, these field flowers are dressed more gloriously than the richest and wisest king in all of Israel's history. And he asks the same rhetorical question. If God cares that much about the grass of the field, which comes in a day and then is gone, will he not much more clothe you? And he's driving at the same point. God has a purpose for your life. You are valuable to God. Wor worry is pointless and ineffective. But then he adds one more issue. He says, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You of little faith. I wonder how many times God looks at us and just kind of shakes his head and says, oh, oh, you of little faith. Jesus looked at all of these people from Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee and the Decapolis and from Syria, and he said, oh, you of little faith. Now, uh, now he's really driving at something here. He's really getting at the heart of the issue. The real heart of the issue when it comes to worry is faith or lack of faith, lack of trust. The real root of worry is a seed of distrust in our Heavenly Father, a seed of doubt in our Heavenly Father's love for us. He may love everybody else, but I'm not so sure he loves me and cares for me like he loves and cares for everybody else. A seed of doubt that God really has a plan for us a doubt uh, and questions as if God really values us at all. And so worry is kind of a declaration that we're not really sure that God is going to take care of us or get us through the situation. Um, worry is a display of faithlessness. And so the next step to untying the knot of worry is to develop more faith. Strengthen your faith. 
Do things that strengthen your faith. Get in the word more. Get in prayer more. Get around people of faith. Get around people who encourage your faith and build up your faith. Get around people of prayer who pray with you and for you. Get in a small group. Somebody in a small group, say amen. Amen. Get in a small group. You know, people pray for each other in these small groups, and they're awesome. Well, one man said it this way. The beginning of worry is the end of faith. And the beginning of faith is the end of worry. If you're going to untie the knot of worry, you must know that God has a purpose for your life. You must know that God values you highly, and you must come to the conclusion that worry doesn't work. And also, if you're going to untie the knot of worry, you need to walk in faith. All right, let's go on to verse 31 and 32. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So Jesus repeats his instruction to avoid worry. He says, don't worry about what you eat, about what to drink, about what to wear. Don't do it. Don't worry. Then he says that the pagans worry about all this stuff. He's saying that when you fret and worry and get all anxious about these things, you're acting like godless people. You're acting like people who don't know the Heavenly Father. You're acting like you have a small God who doesn't know what you need. You're acting like you think that God doesn't have it all together. You know, I can remember when uh, uh, I was a worship pastor in, uh, in Pittsburgh, and I had this piano player who was an amazing piano player. If he was two things, he was an amazing, amazingly talented piano player, and he was also an ex-Marine. I mean, th those two things define who, th who this guy was. An amazingly talented piano player and an ex-Marine. And, and I used to, when I would prepare for our rehearsals, uh, I used to like to have my music double-sided and hole-punched in a binder like this, and I'd turn my pages back and forth. But my other musicians, they like to have their music single-sided uh, uh, single and spread out all in front of them. And so I would make my copy and their copy. But this one day, I went to rehearsal, and I made a mistake, and I made everybody's copies double-sided with hole-punched. And I didn't have any time to go fix it. We're about to start rehearsal, so I'm explaining to this piano player what I did. And I began explaining how, you know, I, I did this double-sided, and there was a long song that we were doing, one of these songs. I was flipping back and forth, explaining, you know, we're going to go to here, and then we get to here, and we've got to turn back and come back to here, and then go, and, and, and he's going, uh-huh, 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 yeah, oh, all right, I got it. And this is, a, again, a tremendously talented musician. Um, he knew how to read music, right? And uh, he's going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And looking back, I'm, I'm realizing he's trying to tell me, you know, I, I got it. You're kind of over-explaining this. And finally, uh, when I finally paused, he said, well, okay, I got it. You know, I may be a jarhead, but I can turn pages. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I bust up laughing because I said, you know what? I am so sorry. You are right. This is not that complicated. And uh, you're a tremendous musician. And I know you know how to read music and turn pages. I wasn't really giving him enough credit. Now, I should learn how to turn pages, because I just turned my pages here to um, somewhere where I'm not, right? So, uh, uh, okay. And so, I wonder whether we do that with God sometimes, right? When we worry and we fret, we're trying to explain it to God, trying to make sure that he sees everything. We're trying to make sure that he's not missing anything, and uh, we're, sure, we're not sure that he has it all together. We're not sure that he's got all the details 
uh, covered, so we keep explaining it in detail to God. God, don't forget this and that. And there's this other thing, God, you know. And it's good to bring things to God and lay them out. All right, that's good. But sometimes I wonder if our worry causes us to, uh, to wonder if God, you know, have a, have a little bit of a small God. You know, and God's up there going, yeah, uh-huh, okay, yeah, uh, uh, all right, uh, 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 all right, look, I got it. And so you do know that I know everything, right? I wonder if God says that to us sometimes. You, you do know that I'm all-knowing and I'm all-powerful, right? I mean, sometimes I think I've had to say that to God. You know, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're right. I don't give you enough credit. You do know all of these things. And Jesus is saying, instead of acting like you have a small God who doesn't have it all together, act like you have a big God who's all-knowing and all-powerful and loves you and cares for you and knows what you need before you even ask him. Then we come to verse 33, and it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And here, Jesus gives a contrast. Instead of being like the pagans, do something different. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. Before you think about food and clothing and whatever else, whatever other needs that you think you have, think about his kingdom. Think about what is right. Jesus is saying that, you know, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you think about shouldn't be breakfast. And what am I going to make for lunch? And what am I going to have for dinner? Right? That's not wrong to think about these things. But Jesus is saying, before you even get to there, think about his kingdom. God, how am I going to advance your kingdom today? God, how are you going to work through me to advance your kingdom? God, how am I going to do what is right today? Oh, for a church that's full of people who are thinking that way. Before you even, your feet hit the floor, and before you even start to get breakfast and get ready, God, how are you working in my life today? God, bring glory to Jesus through me. Oh, glory to God. When a church, when a church is filled with that kind of people, can I tell you, it gets powerful. You know, I pray for you. I pray things like, God, Bless your people of Lancaster First Assembly today, God. Wherever they are, God, would you give them opportunity to, to, to make you look good? God, give somebody an opportunity to pray for somebody at work, to say, you know what, that situation I see, can I pray for you that? And God, work through them. Maybe a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Do you know what? Those things are not only for pastors, and they're not only for in church. They are for you. Out there in the world, you know, and you don't have to go, hey, I just I want to tell you that, um, that God's given me a word of knowledge for you. I mean, maybe, you know, but sometimes it just comes in a wisdom, you know, that you have for somebody. And God gives you a, a word just to speak into a situation. And, uh, and, and it's a word from God. And God brings glory to himself. Sometimes God brings a miracle and it's just through a simple prayer. I mean, it doesn't have to be down front with the evangelist coming and everybody kind of shaking and falling down and all that kind of thing. It can be something as simple as you saying to somebody, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. Can I, can I just pray for you? Maybe you have an opportunity then. Maybe you've just got to take it back to your prayer closet. But, you know, something happens and God does a work in somebody's life. That's how I pray for you. Because that's what God wants to do in your life. Oh, for a body of Christ that first says, God I want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first. You know, so, you know, can I help some of you? Some of you teenagers, maybe, and maybe some of you adults as well. If you're standing in front of a closet this wide full of clothes for half an hour saying, I have nothing to wear. Maybe, 
Maybe, maybe you need to ask yourself, am I seeking the kingdom of God first? I'm just saying. I'm just suggesting. Our first thoughts ought to be about, God, how can I live for your kingdom? How can I express your kingdom? How can I do the right thing today? And so the next step in untying the knot of worry is to daily seek first the kingdom of God. Make it your first priority, your first question. God, how are you going to be glorified through me today? How am I going to honor you by doing the right thing today? When you seek God's kingdom first, something amazing happens. You realize God's purpose for your life. You realize you are valuable to God and his plan. You exercise faith, and you're going to untie the knot of worry by seeking first the kingdom of God. And so as I get ready to conclude this morning, I want you to look at verse 34. It's the last verse in this passage. And he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, I need a volunteer to help me. Let me see. I know. How about Pastor Mark? Yay, how you got a hand for Pastor Mark? He's coming up here to help me. All right, so Pastor Mark, he's going to stand here. Now, look at Pastor Mark here. Here is a strong, handsome guy. All right, he, no, stand up straight. <laughs> there you go. Strong, handsome guy. He's in the prime of his life. I mean, I, he can lift a tractor over his head, I think. Right? Well, for this illustration, anyway. All right, and so uh, he represents your average Christian. Now, I have here, maybe you've noticed behind me, uh, bunch of bags, right? And uh, these represent our weights, our troubles, right? Here, take that back for a minute. Well, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? How'd you like to just carry that around all day long? You wouldn't, though. You wouldn't, right? It's pretty heavy, right? So, but what if, so now this really represents, let's say this represents our troubles for the whole week. So he doesn't have to carry all of this, right? He's just got to carry, let's see here. Oh, God comes along and says, you know, each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the troubles I want you to carry today. Well, that's not so bad, right? Nope. I mean, he can carry that all day long, right? I mean, with him and God and God's grace working in his life, he can carry that all day long. So he walks through the day, and uh, he comes over here and towards the end of the day, right? And uh, he's supposed to do what? At the end of the day, he takes that trouble, and he lays it down, right? Now, he's done with it. Now he can go to sleep in peace. Right? And so next morning, he wakes up, and God's got another weight for him. So this is your weight for today. He walks through the day with that, with God's grace uh, working in his life, and gets to the end of the day over here, and he's supposed to lay this weight down, right? But what happens if he says, you know what? I'm still worried about this thing. I'm not laying that down. i, I, I got to carry that. Because if I lay it down, who's going to think about it? Right? So he carries that into the morning and probably doesn't have a good sleep, right? And then he's still got that. And then God says, well, here's your... Here's your trouble for today, right? Well, now he's got this. Now he's walking around with this, and he goes through the day, and he's got both of these things, right? And now he can't put either of them down, so he comes back the next morning. He's still carrying all of these things, right? And, uh, and pretty soon, he's carrying all the worries of yesterday and all of this stuff, right? And he says, well, I'm still worried about some of this other stuff here. So, you know, he's got all of these. Here, let's put this on uh, this arm here. Here he goes. All of these weights of yesterday. And then he starts thinking, you know, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, and then all of a sudden he, he picks up uh, tomorrow's weight. 
Because if, no, you know, someone's got to be thinking about that, right? And worrying about that. And how do you like that? I'd like to walk around like that all day. All day. He's ready to go. Some people act like that, right? I can carry the weight of the world. I'm strong. I can carry everything. All right, so, and then, well, he starts thinking, well, what about next week? Right? <laughs> he starts thinking about next week. He's got, how's that? How do you like that? Well, then what about next month? Pretty soon, oh, my goodness, how's that? How'd you like to walk around like that all day? And uh, then, what about the month after that? Here you go. You need to bring that with you. Well, wait a minute. What about the month after that? Okay, now he looks like someone at the airport now, doesn't he? All right, he's got all this stuff. All right, why don't you walk around here? Do you do the stuff you need to do? All right, how's that? You ever felt like that through life, at least at the airport, right? There you go, a missions trip. There you go. Come on back. You don't walk very good like that, all, all, all messed up like that, right? And uh, so he's, he's weighed down with all these, all these troubles, all these problems, and I mean that literally, problems, because um, when I was filling these bags last night, I found a bunch of Jill's old math textbooks from college, and so that's what's in here. Literally, they're algebra and calculus and trigonometry problems he's carrying around. So you see what happens when you worry? <laughs> you get math homework. <laughs> and so here he is carrying all of this stuff. And boy, he's look, he looks miserable, doesn't he? He looks messed up. And so very quickly, there are four things that happen. When you, when you carry around yesterday's worries and you, and you carry around tomorrow's worries, four things happen. Okay? First is you get worn out. I mean, don't worries wear you out. You get tired and worn out. And then the second thing that happens is you can't really fulfill today's responsibility very well. You fail at fulfilling today's responsibility uh, because you've got all of this stuff, so he, he can't really carry that very well or this very well. It's about to drop there because he's got all of these worries from, from the next day, and what ends up happening is you don't have the emotional uh, energy to deal with today's responsibility. So you end up, you know, uh, snapping at your spouse, you know, snapping at your husband, snapping at your wife, snapping at your kids, or, or not treating your parents the right way, or, or your siblings, or you snap at God. And some of you say, snap at God. No one would ever snap at God, right? Well, Martha did. Right, you remember Martha came out of the kitchen and said, Jesus, would you tell my sister to, to, to help me? I mean, think of that. That's an image of someone coming out and snapping at Jesus. And uh, y'all look so holy right now, but I think if you're all honest with me, you'd probably say you've had occasion to snap at God, right? Because things where you started worrying about this and that and the other thing, and you weren't happy with what's going on. He's like, God, don't you see this? You know, I, to be honest, I've done that. Some of you, oh, pastor has done that? Well, well, sure, and I've repented of it too. God, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I should not have gotten so upset like that and, uh, and questioned like that, what's going on, God? Uh, you see everything. You know everything. Help me let go of some of this stuff and let you carry it. I was carrying too much stuff, right? We don't deal well with today. And then the third thing that happens is we can't help anybody else. You know, someone else comes along way down with this, this, this big, heavy burden, and you know what? Um, someone else comes along like that. Can he help them? 
No. And let me show you what's going on here. Put up that next slide. Let me show you something really neat in Galatians. Verses, chapter 6, verses 2 and 5. In verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens. And in verse 5, it says, every man shall bear his own burdens. Now, at first glance, you wonder, well, what's happening here? Is there some type of contradiction? What's going on here? But when you look a little bit deeper at it, a different picture emerges. Put up that next slide. Because there's two, oh, go back. Uh, yeah, that's the one. Okay. There, there, there's two different words in the Greek used for burden here. In verse 5, uh, where it says, every man shall bear his own burden. In verse 5, every man shall bear his own burden. The, the word is uh, fartion. And the, and the meaning of that is kind of like a cargo, a load that you would carry. So they would use this word in uh, like a ship that you'd load with cargo. You load just the right amount of cargo so that it doesn't sink. And they'd also use this word for a soldier who was packing his rucksack. And this, each soldier would pack the, uh, the, the tools that they needed to complete the mission that they were going on. And each soldier would carry their own sack. And so the idea is what we've been talking about, carrying your own weight, carrying the appropriate load that you're supposed to carry. Uh, every man should bear his own burden, fartion. And so, but then in verse 2, bear one another's burdens, the word is boros. And the word there means an exceedingly heavy burden, something that's difficult to carry. It's a different word entirely. So God is saying that we should, should carry our own load, our own burden. You know, the, the things that we're supposed to carry, we should carry them in the grace of God. But sometimes there, there's this stuff that comes into life that is really, really, really heavy, more than the normal thing. And when that happens with our brothers and sisters, we're supposed to see that happen and come alongside and help them carry the load. But if you're carrying all of tomorrow's stuff, you can't help your brother or sister because you're too preoccupied just trying to get through carrying all this stuff. And then one more thing happens. When you carry all of tomorrow's stuff, the devil comes along with his fiery darts, right? He starts just firing these fiery darts, right? Come on, can't you block any of these? Why can't you block any of these? The devil's firing the fiery darts, man. He's not even doing anything. He can't block anything, right? Oh, here you go. He can't block the fiery darts. Why? He's missing something. What's he missing? Shield of faith. The shield of faith. When you carry tomorrow's worries today, tomorrow's problems today, your faith is weak. You put down the shield of faith to pick up tomorrow's worries. And so here he is. Uh, I think I need to reload. That's what happens when you carry tomorrow's problems and worries today. Now, don't you want to get rid of all this load? Well, here, how about we do this? Take that off there. What happens if, uh, oh, hold on. This might be, we may have gone too far. <laughs> this might, he might be like this forever. All righty. Oh, look at that. Doesn't that feel good? Oh, my goodness. That feels good. Oh, he drops that. How about this? That's, that's tomorrow's worries, right? 
How about these? We get rid of these here. That's tomorrow's worries. That's today's worry. I got to hold on to that one. That's today. God's going to help you with that. Oh, isn't that much better? All right. All right, give him a hand. Boy. Now, how many of you feel like you might be carrying some stuff that you shouldn't be carrying? And man, wouldn't it be good to just throw all that stuff off? Not carry tomorrow's worries, not uh, carry yesterday's worries. And if you're struggling with worry and anxiety, Jesus wants to help you this morning. He's saying several things to you in this passage. God has a purpose for your life. You're valuable to God and his plan. Dealing with tomorrow's worries today won't help you. It'll be ineffective. He wants to say, have more faith and trust in God. Exercise your faith muscle. And then seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he will take care of everything else. Would you all bow your heads with me?